The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Games for you guys on Monday. Good gracious. Woof. We got a lot to go over on today's show. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. And also, as always, brought to you by our good buddies at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company, HI Kona Coffee on Twitter, HawaiianIsles.com, and Hawaiian Isles on Amazon. I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D A N B E S B R I S, or just search for Dan from Hoop Ball. Rumbling along here on Thanksgiving week, a huge 11-game Monday in the rear view and looking towards the future, a goofy, tiny little two-game Tuesday before everybody plays on Wednesday. It is the ultimate in big game day. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, it's 14 games, which would mean only two teams are not playing on Wednesday. That's pretty wild. Uh, and then everybody gets Thursday off. So we'll, we'll still have a show. Fear not. Uh, it'll just be a shorter one, obviously, midweek. And then Friday, it's a, a monster of a card again. Uh, but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. This is Tuesday's edition of the show. Uh, we got a few things to go over. Number one, the bruise letter came out yesterday. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed. If you have not yet gotten on the list, make sure to go to hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. What is it? Uh, this is one of my favorites, by the way. Uh, Aaron Bruski going through the league, basically from a timing standpoint. What does it mean to be right running into Thanksgiving week? Uh, talking about life, his kid, the Kings, all 30 teams in the NBA. It's an old-fashioned Bruski breakdown, and the only way to get it is to sign up for the newsletter through HoopBall, the HoopBall Bruise Letter again, hoop-ball.com/newsletter. Jumping right into the Monday box score, and then I'll tell you about our recruiting push a little bit later in the show. Most of you know about it already. Brooklyn beat Cleveland 108-106, which was right on the mark. Brooklyn was a two-point uh, road favorite in this ballgame. Larry Nance got the start with Kevin Love missing the game. You know, It seemed like it was a, a back-to-back situation, his, his last missed one, but it appears actually to be a tiny bit more than that which means lots for Larry Nance. Jordan Clarkson had one of his I'm above the cut line kind of games, but we know how these things level off. And then uh, early season pickup favorite Tristan Thompson missed a bunch of free throws and uh, really hurt you in this one. Brooklyn side, no DeAndre Jordan, so Jared Allen had a 20-20 game, and he's been coming on. Spencer Dinwiddie obviously good with no Kyrie Irving as long as that continues. Joe Harris, Torian Prince, all that good stuff. Uh, Nets have had a really favorable schedule since Kyrie Irving went down. Life is not always so simple, but it's important to know it as people are like, hey, they're better without him. Uh, Yeah, they've rattled off some wins, but it's coming against Charlotte, Sacramento, New York, and Cleveland. The only one of those teams you could make an argument uh, would be a playoff team in either conference would be Sacramento. Uh, We'll see how they fare now in a home-and-home with Boston coming up tomorrow and Friday. That'll be a little bit of a better test for a team without arguably their best player, Um, but certainly one that creates, we've seen it now, enough to probably call it a thing, some chemistry issues. I I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility to just say that maybe he's kind of a tough guy to play with. This Brooklyn team looks a little bit more like the other one, one from last year. But anyway, not much in the way of fantasy ramifications of this ball game. We can keep chugging along. Orlando, uh, like usual, able to hang in there for a little bit and then just not enough firepower. They shot 38% against the Pistons' staunch defense. I mean, it's it's a rough go without Nick Vucevic. We saw this uh, briefly last year. He played most of the season and uh, obviously the year before that. When there's no Vooch, Orlando's horrible. There are a lot of guys in the NBA that are overestimated in the betting line. Vooch is one of the few who is underestimated. When he's out, everything comes apart. Luckily, Jonathan Isaac is incredible, so even on an off night, he still had seven cash counters. Mo Bamba filled in admirably with 6-12, two steals, three blocks, but he's very much a streaming option, and presumably, you know, you can't count on 12 points and five defensive stats in only 20 minutes 
So I'm, I've decided that I've moved on in this one. And Ken Burch actually played more minutes than Bamba, despite, by all accounts, not doing as much. Markel Fultz is being forced to do a little bit more with everybody hurt, and he's been okay. Evan Fournier, the volume is up. Uh, Terrence Ross, the volume is up. He's actually been pretty good. I know this wasn't a great ballgame for him with no defensive stats, but 19 points, three threes, couple of rebounds. He really was one steal away from your classic Terrence Ross, 10th man, right on the cut line kind of game. Uh, good news out of Detroit was that uh, Luke Kennard got a little bit of his groove back. His usage is still weighed down, but he hit a lot of his shots, and this sort of floats him if you still want to sell high. You have a narrow window to do so. Derrick Rose was terrible. Uh, he still had his six assists, but he only went one for 11 from the field. So he was like five made buckets and a couple of free throws away from his usual line. Um, and if, you, if you're using him to this point, you'll you just keep on doing so. Um, this was a blowout, so he didn't have to play late either. Minutes were normal. His rotations were normal. Uh, I wouldn't abandon ship there if, if it's taken you this far. And Andre Drummond has really slowed on the defensive side of the ball. We figured that there would be a tail-off on offense once Blake Griffin came back. Um, but defensively, after going completely bananas to start the year, he's been much more in that you know, uh, two to three defensive stats per game instead of the three to four range. And you notice it with a guy like Drummond, who, again, is not being forced to score as much now. Uh, obviously, the rebounds are still quite nice. Christian Wood played 15 effective minutes, but he's not going to be any good unless Blake Griffin has to miss uh, another chunk of time. Memphis lost at Indiana. They did manage to sort of make it a little bit of a ball game late. Uh, John Morant hurt his tailbone late in the first half. I admit I picked up a couple of Tyus Joneses, and then when I saw Jock come back to play the second half, I immediately dropped a couple of Tyus Joneses. Jerry Jackson Jr. was in foul trouble again, but had a really nice shooting game in this one. Jaw was pretty good. Uh, Brandon Clark was great again. JV actually had a really nice ball game. Missed two free throws in an odd twist. Otherwise, it really would have been a hell of a game. A steal on three blocks. Jonas looked like he was kind of pissed in this one. I like angry Jonas. He got blocked once or twice by Miles Turner and took issue with it uh miles turner blocked a lot of people he had five of them in this game he didn't do much else but who cares that's why you drafted him jeremy lamb was solid tj warren was solid malcolm brogdon was fine but unspectacular demonis sabonis had a double double with six assists you play the starters aaron holiday had a nice game but uh garbage time obviously helped with that he got his minutes back up to 18 tj mcconnell played 19 minutes and he's a deep league guy and officially the days of gogo batadze are long over now Again, not too many adjustments in this one. Oh, Jay Crowder had a quiet game, but you're holding on there. He, he's actually been well above the cut line lately. He just was off. You know, he didn't, he didn't get the rebounds he normally does. He didn't get the steals he normally does. He still hit his three threes. He's just firing away from downtown. He'll usually play enough to get you a steal or a block and a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists. That's his gig these days. So I'm good with it. Uh, I'm going to probably demote Dylan Brooks below the cut line because he is so reliant on offense. The other stuff is nice, and he got a little bit of it in this ballgame, but in general, uh, that's not really the thing. You uh, On the Indiana side, if you can sell on some of your guard assets, this would be a good time to explore it. Victor Oladipo is probably within three or four weeks of coming back. Minnesota beat Atlanta on the road. This was a ball game that was actually pretty damn competitive for a while. And then the Hawks just don't, they just have nobody beyond Trey Young and Jabari Parker. Warned you guys about DeAndre Hunter. We knew he was going to crap himself. And sure enough, that is exactly what happened. He can play big minutes and it doesn't matter. The only other name on this team I'm concerned with is John Collins. Maybe I'll extend that to Kevin Herter, whose game I'm not super thrilled with. And he just keeps getting hurt. But it's Trey and it's Jabari. And Trey did everything he could. I mean, he took 28 damn shots in this game. He had a usage of 45, seven turnovers, no defensive stats. It's amazing to put up a line like this and really is overshadowed by more efficient players. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast, actually. Trey Young has had an incredible season. He's uh, outperforming a lot of expectations. But from an efficiency standpoint, there are still big-time issues. The field goal percent is coming back down where we figured it would settle. Uh, the turnovers are colossal, and so for 9-cat, you have to build that in. 
Philly looked really bad for long stretches of this game. Um, particularly Joel Embiid, scoreless. How about that for a weird one, huh? The magic of Marc Gasol, man. This is why Toronto traded for Marc Gasol last year. He played his role. Uh, OG Ananobi coming back to earth a little bit. Still, I, I like him as a, a fantasy asset. He, he, to me, is sort of like a souped-up P.J. Tucker, Daniel House. But he was never going to be a top 40 guy uh, or top 30 guy where he was sitting for a while. He's settled now back towards where he's likely going to be with some steals, some blocks, some threes. Uh, and then offensively, he's going to be counted on for little bits here and there. Uh, Ronda Hellas Jefferson exploded in a big one. We know Surge is coming back in the next probably week, so I'm dodging this all together. Freddie Van Fleet's about to take a hit with Kyle Lowry, likely within a couple of weeks of coming back, and then Pascal Siakam's job is uh, pretty damn safe. I actually like Marcus Gasol with everybody hurt. As people come back, he may move back beyond the cut line. Al Horford, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, generally Joel Embiid. Philly is just the five starters and nothing else. I'm waiting till we get to something that I really want to elaborate on, but so far, it's been a fairly straightforward card. Charlotte lost Cody Zeller uh, to a hip contusion, so thus begins the what issue will Cody Zeller have tour once again. The question here is, how much is Bismack Biombo really going to play? If Cody Zeller has to miss significant time, we know how Charlotte feels about Willie Hernan Gomez. The answer, by the way, is they don't much care for him. There were stretches last year where Bismack freaking Biombo had to play medium-sized minutes. And I admit, I picked him up in a few spots. It's a stretch, though. I mean, he really has to be on the floor for close to 30 minutes to make it work because his free throws are going to be terrible. His field goal percent is going to be fine, but he doesn't take all that many of them. You need the rebounds, you need the steals, and you need the blocks. And in order to get to that point, it's going to have to be a large chunk of minutes. I believe... I got to go through some of the numbers. He always has one stretch where he plays a few more minutes. Usually the Cody Zeller injury is that thing. Two seasons back, you remember Zeller missed like a month and a half in, in December, January, February range. And Biombo was actually a really nice pickup over that stretch. He had a lot of two, three, and four block games. So if we run into that kind of thing, there's a speculative element here. It's a streamer. No, make no mistake. This is not a guy you're looking for rest of season value. But if you're in a head-to-head league, you try to pile up some blocks in the short term, amass a few extra victories, and, and push yourself into one of those top couple of seeds, maybe try to get a first-round buy or something like that, set yourself up. And in Roto, where it's actually even more relevant, these streaming types, is you use these guys that are going to be really good short-term, chew up some of that games cap, but, you know, it's like getting a free fifth, sixth rounder for a couple of weeks. So we'll wait and see. There's always something with Zeller, but you kind of need it to be a week-to-week thing as opposed to day-to-day in order to, I think, warrant dabbling in the Biombo experience at all. Uh, Terry Rozier was decent. Malik Monk hit a couple of threes. He's been a tiny bit better. Miles Bridges was not. P.J. Washington was once again not very good. Seemed like they were going to give him the keys a little bit this year, and they've they've definitely pulled back on that. And it looks like everybody gets to play kind of thing. Devontae Graham, efficiency issues through the roof, but otherwise he's been a very nice point guard-style dude. Huge turnover situation. Uh, Nick Batum is useless. He is a drop or not an ad at all. Uh, Monk is not an ad. I think Bridges, Rozier, yeah, I mean, you know I don't like Terry very much, but he does belong on a team. P.J. Washington has probably moved across the cut line. He hasn't been good, and his minutes seem unsafe of late. And Zeller has also been on the wrong side of that mark. For Miami, we've seen Kelly Olynyk coming on. Uh, probably not getting as much credit as he deserves. He should definitely be owned after a very slow start. He is more. He's doing more than enough to be on fantasy teams. Put up 15-16 and assist two steals in this ballgame. And again, after that horrendous start to the year, he's been a top 75 guy the last couple of weeks. That's a guy that belongs on fantasy teams. you got to carve out a spot for someone like that. Just find a way. 
because he does a little bit of everything. Steals, blocks, assists, rebounds, points, threes, decent enough percentages. There's a, there is a room for that on your fantasy team. There has to be. Again, over the entire year, his numbers are not that impressive. But over the last couple of weeks, he's looking more like himself again. And he's not going to score in bunches, but he's the better center option now that he's healthy. You know, we always wondered about that Myers-Leonard thing. Olenek has been healthy. He's been averaging more like 25 minutes instead of 18 or 19. And that's always been the case. If he can get up into that neck of the woods, he needs to be on a fantasy team. So I would say in terms of the guys we've covered so far, he's the one where you kind of have to pause the podcast and just go get him. Just go get him. Pause what you're doing, go get him. You sort of like, again, I'll give you the break point here. Did you do it? Good. Let's continue. Jimmy Butler, awesome. Terrific first round pick. Uh, Bam Adebayo was very good. Kendrick Nunn was once again good. I, I continue to insist he's the guy above the cut line. Goran Dragic is, was not good. Tyler Harrow scored but did nothing else. When everybody is right, it's none. N-U-N-N. That's above the cut line. Sacramento got the game they've been waiting for from Buddy Heald and almost pulled off the upset. Buddy had 41 and 11 three-pointers. Rashawn Holmes was good again. Efficient. Foul trouble. Corey Joseph, blech. He had 5-5-6 five, five, and six with a steal and a three ball, and he's just playing so many minutes that you almost have to give it a look, but his game is so whack. Bogdan Bogdanovich looked like a guy playing through something. He shot 5 of 20 from the field in this ballgame, but you knew he wasn't going to shoot like 55% forever. Marcus Smart was very good. Ennis Cantor picked up the minutes with Daniel Tice out with an illness. The Time Lord had 23 minutes of his own. It seems like Tice is going to get the 20-something, and then the other two guys are splitting up the rest, but when he's out, they almost split it down the middle. You could use either one of them in that spot. It should Tice miss any more time. He's the guy you still want to have. We were keeping one eye on Brad Wanamaker. It seemed like they went the semi-Ogile route in this one instead. Uh, and at the end of the day, you probably just don't want to deal with any of those guys. It's the centers are the guys that you're watching to see what happens. And plus, and this is really good news, uh, it sounds like Kemba Walker is actually expected to practice this week. I thought there was no chance he would play this week, and now it's actually on the table. Amazing. Really wonderful news for Kemba from a health standpoint. Great news for his fantasy owners, which is like, who cares? Secondary news. That was a pretty scary fall, but um, they said that he had tingling and a little bit of numbness in his fingers when he first fell, but once they got his neck all squared away, they checked him out. He never had, never had to go into the concussion protocol, but they did anyway just for precautionary reasons, and he passed. Uh, it seems like his neck is feeling better already, and, I mean, damn, that's wild. Good work, Kemba. Tough nut. Jeez. Portland got a much-needed win at Chicago. And this was a crazy one, man. Portland was healthy. You know, air quotes. Obviously, they're missing all of their other power forwards. And it just took a game against the hometown Chicago Bulls to wake up old Carmelo Anthony. He had 25-8-2 with four threes and a steal on 20 shots. It was not bashful. Uh, and Damian Lillard went... Pass first in this one because, well, frankly, it just wasn't needed to score all that much. McCollum had 21, Mello had 25, Hood had 16. The Bulls shot, or excuse me, the uh, Blazers shot 52%. But this, of course, highlights what you can expect out of the Blazers on a night to night basis. If they're healthy, four of the five starters uh, are close. Rodney Hood is the fourth. And then Mello, who had the big ball game. He fits into that points league bucket. I mean, you yes, this was a nice ball game, and yes, this is going to get him put on some more rosters, but this is the outlier. Most of the time, it's the low-efficiency stuff, so don't dive ahead first into that in a nine-category league. Points leagues, yeah, have at it, man. He's going to take a bunch of shots. I think Dame will be better. This is kind of nice. They're able to work him back through that back thing against some wimpy competition, and finally they got the win. Uh, Whiteside was fine in half minutes. But uh, no, I mean, no, no real changes to this one other than the fact that everybody else is a drop. Anyone who's not starting has no prayer. And I know Scal had an okay game, but you can't trust a guy who played 21 minutes in a blowout win. It would be much lower than that if it wasn't. 
Wendell Carter Jr., 12-9 for the Bulls, but otherwise it was another rough one. Zach Levine was held to just 18 points. Denzel Valentine actually got back into the mix in this one a little bit. 11 points, 4 boards. Lowry Markin was horrible again, and he's the easiest buy low ever because you almost don't even have to pay for him anymore. Sadoransky had a slower game by, if you look at sort of weighted averages, but 11-5-5 with a 3 isn't bad if you work in his normal steal and change. Uh, and then Kobe White, you know, the efficiency stuff continues to be a huge drag on him. I, I know that he ha- he has these bigger games blended in with the other ones, but you got to look at the overall ranking. There's a reason he's number 180, despite having some big scoring games. The other stuff is brutally bad. 38.5% from the field. 38. You know, the, the, the good games are far less frequent. Utah's a pretty easy team to handicap. Joe Ingles actually had a decent ball game, but otherwise this is sort of as expected. Mike Conley shot the ball poorly, but had nine assists. I've got to think the steals come around eventually, but you can definitely downgrade him. He's going to be a D-bomb that does not hit the mark. We can basically say that. He's not getting into that top 40 territory where we hoped. Uh, 60 to 80 range is still very much within reach. And if you can get him for someone outside or near the end of the top 100, I think you certainly do so. Giannis had a 50-burger and still somehow killed your free throw percent, but you're not complaining. This is a huge ball game. Um, Eric Bledsoe was quiet. Wesley Matthews was the one who actually woke up for a Milwaukee team that, frankly, didn't play all that well and still beat Utah. I thought they'd win by a little bit more, honestly. Lakers won on the road at San Antonio. They're a machine, man. I really thought the Spurs were going to make this one a good ball game, and they were neck and neck until the beginning of the fourth. LaMarcus Aldridge, who, I mean... Okay, I'm not going to take offense to the fact that people are kind of like, hey, what's going on with LMA these days? He's inside the top 35. I don't know what you want from the dude. He's right where he always is, with good percentages, slightly lower rebounds than usual, slightly higher blocks. It evens out just fine for me. You took him where? Probably in your fourth round, and he's performing better than that because he still hasn't missed a game all year. His team's terrible. That's something to worry about. But overall, he's just trucking along. I wondered if starting Derek White in this ballgame might give Aldridge an opportunity to grab a couple more rebounds. I know that uh, Murray, as a very good rebounding point guard, does put a tiny dent into that. Uh, But he did this against Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee. That's pretty good. Jakob Pertl was a guy I was watching. You knew this was going to be a tough matchup. And he did have 4-8 and with a steal and a block, which is, you know, top 100 to top 120 range center stuff. I think we can probably do better unless you desperately need rebounding blocks and field goal percent in general. He's a guy that's probably towards the edge of useful. I'll say that with the caveat, I do have a team where that is kind of something that the team needs, but he's a liability in a few categories. Free throw percent, he's not going to score. He's not going to pass. He'll never hit a three. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a reason that he's a a free agent in a lot of spots. I like that he's starting. I like that he was still able to put a serviceable line on the board against one of the best front courts in the NBA. Um, But there's limited upside there. It's not like he's going to play 30 minutes. Derek White showed signs of life in the starting lineup. He and DeJounte Murray continue to split minutes. I mean, that's... (sighs) This is a problem situation, and it is not resolving itself Anthony Davis was once again very good LeBron James was excellent outside of god-awful free throw shooting in this one KCP's continuing to play well with no Avery Bradley and no Alex Caruso Rajon Rondo was you know well enough JaVale McGee has actually started to outplay Dwight Howard a little bit lately so that back and forth is more back and forthy than I expected What do we do about it? Probably nothing. You know, there are some deeper leagues where McGee in 20-ish minutes is going to do enough in terms of, you know, you compare him to a guy like Jakob Pertl, that McGee's going to probably get you close to the same field goal percent, maybe a tiny bit better. I would assume more blocks per minute, slightly fewer total minutes. I don't know. I mean, we're break. We're really, you're splitting hairs a little bit at this point if, if these are the guys that you're debating dumping into your lineup uh they're specialists they're specialists 
you know, I recorded uh, large chunks of this show at different parts and kind of and mushed them together. You guys can probably at this point, having listened to the show for so long, figure out when those times are. But I wanted to go back and I wanted to talk a tiny bit more about the San Antonio Spurs guard situation because we can't just in the in my first pass on going over that game, I sort of gave it the throw my arms in the air, you know, whatever kind of deal. Um, but that's not that's not our job here. So let's dig a tiny bit deeper. Lamarcus Aldridge, Demar Derozan are fine. They're doing their usual stuff. Um, again, despite for whatever reason, people telling me that Lamarcus is not doing his his stuff at this point. He's number thirty one in nine cat by on a per game uh, basis, and then by totals, uh, I believe he's number nine. Right? I think he's been I think he's been truly outstanding because he hasn't missed a game yet. I think the Spurs have actually played more games than some of the other teams in the NBA. So while they are losing a ton of ball games, uh, he's been amazing. He's been he's just been awesome. 338 points, 120 rebounds, 31 blocks. I mean, he's been one of the greatest positive impact guys to your fantasy team. So I don't I don't want to hear the, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is not getting a done thing right now. He sits right behind Giannis and just in front of Jonathan Isaac and Pascal Siakam and Jimmy Butler because he's played 18 games. He's played more games than almost anybody in the NBA. CJ McCollum, DeMar DeRozan, his teammate, those guys are at 18 as well. Almost everybody in the NBA has missed a game. Like, you got to go all the way down to Zach Levine at 50 in totals rankings to get to the next guy who's played in all 18 of his team's games so far. So that that is another reason to love LaMarcus. But that's not why I wanted to go back uh, and talk more about this Spurs thing. I want to talk about the backcourt because what we're seeing now is a little bit of experimentation. These are, I don't want to say the first signs of it. It's been very clear that this is what they're doing. They tried the... DeJounte Murray, Bryn Forbes, uh, DeRozan. Who the hell else was in the starting lineup at the start of the year? I legitimately don't remember. It was not Jakob Pertl. Uh, then they've tried the Derek White thing yesterday. They tried Derek White in the starting lineup. They've tried uh, when Murray rests on the back-to-back because of his return from injury. They've tried the whole, like, all Derek White at point guard experiment. They've tried the Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills combination. None of them is working. Defensively, the Spurs have been bad, which is a huge issue. And in the past, they've been a team where the guys are just sort of in the right place at the right time. You would have thought that that would have been the kind of thing Jajante Murray could help with. But in the modern NBA, where there's a lot, a lot, a lot of screening, a whole lot less of just the ISO guy-on-guy thing, uh, i got to watch my, <laughs> watch my phrasing. Um, Murray being a good defender... He needs the other guys around him to be equally good. So, yeah, I mean, he's a decent one-on-one dude, but it's not its not getting it done. Aldridge doesn't have the lateral movement that he did when he was younger. He's still fine. You know, he's getting a few blocks here and there. They've tried now moving Jakob Pertl into the starting lineup to get a little more rim protection and rebounding, which, by the way, they did out-rebound the Lakers in that game yesterday, 41-40. to So there was that. Um, they turned the ball over a couple more times than the Lakers did. Overall, it was actually, you know, the the game at its core was not as far apart as the final score might have indicated. Lakers hit a few more threes, got a couple extra shots, that kind of thing to drop, and and that was the difference in the ballgame. So what they're doing right now, I think they are happier with. The question is the guard situation. I think you're going to see Jakob Pertl in the starting lineup for the next week or two. I don't think they're going to go back on that one, unless there's a matchup thing going on. Like maybe they don't, maybe they'd rather have LaMarcus play the five and, and stay a little bit smaller against a couple of teams in general. I think you're going to see Pirtle at center for probably two weeks. And he's, he, how long has he been in there now? Three games already. So probably another three or four games before you, you see another switch. Maybe not. Maybe they cut ties with it early, but I think they like what he's bringing uh, to the front court. It seems like they're pretty, jammed in with Bryn Forbes as the starting shooting guard. And he's not a very good fantasy player. Uh, He's fringy, and he's going to be in that neck of the woods probably the entire season. He's number 141 in 9-cat. He's a little bit better than that uh, in in more points-leaguey formats where it's, you know, scoring and threes and stuff like that. 
He doesn't belong on a roster because his fantasy game is intensely limited. He shoots almost exclusively three-pointers, which is fine. I mean, you hit two and a half a game. That's that's something. Um, but, you know, he doesn't get to the foul line. He's He doesn't get many steals. He doesn't get any blocks. And so there's just, there's sort of not much there. What I'd like to figure out and what the Spurs are trying to figure out is how this combination of Forbes, Murray, White, and Mills can coexist in a way that actually gets the team to a win. I'm inclined to think that over the course of the year, you're going to see more DeJounte Murray. He's the one that's been on the minutes restriction. He's the one they've been a little bit more cautious with. He is their more interesting starting point guard. But the lack of spacing right now is what's keeping him off the floor for additional minutes. He doesn't shoot the three. Neither does Aldridge. Neither does DeRozan. Neither does Pirtle. They would. They legitimately have one guy in their starting lineup that can hit a three-pointer. Reliably. I know. Aldridge is, you know, he hit one. And Derek White hit one off the... Or he started yesterday. And Murray actually hit one also. But these are not three-point shooters the way that Say you look at the even the opposing team, the Lakers, Troy Daniels hit three, KCP hit three, LeBron hit four. Not that he's a three-point shooter, but he has certainly improved dramatically from out there. And even Anthony Davis hit one. He's not a three-point shooter, but he's as good as or better than most of the guards we're, we're talking about on that Spurs side. And in the modern NBA, you need to be able to create a little bit of room. So offensively, they get a little bit bogged down. They're actually kind of hanging in there. But then they're not defending anybody. So when it comes down to can we stop another team once or twice, that's where I think someone like DeJounte Murray eventually is going to get his way into the role uh, that we predicted. To be fair, to be fair, on this podcast, I did say to you guys, I'm not drafting either of these dudes. It makes me nervous. This, by the way, is far worse than I could have ever predicted. So I'm going to give myself partial credit for just sort of avoiding a situation that had a little bit messy written on it and then turned out to be a lot of bit messy. But a lot of us are in it now. Many of you drafted at least one of these guys. Uh, I ended up with Derek White in one spot where he fell to like 135, and I thought, well, geez, I got to at least take a shot on him here because this guy could be a top 75 dude if they actually play him. Uh, I, I consequently dropped him as I've told you on this podcast two and a half three weeks ago when it was clear he wasn't going to play enough minutes but we're going to watch him all damn season and so for this exact moment my feelings are you're holding Murray hold on Murray and just hope that this thing sorts itself out because he's had some really good games blended in with some of these uh more stinky ones he's outside the top 100 now with the fluctuating minutes and the you know 22 minutes per ball game stuff. You're holding on Murray, you're you're holding if you have Derek White because he got the start, so now you kind of want to see what happens, but I'm not racing out to pick him up in places where I had already dropped him just because he started a game. He's heavily owned for uh <laughs> unclear reasons, but you know, he's obviously worth monitoring every game. He's played 25 minutes in two in a row, although one of them uh, Murray was sitting on the back-to-back. So there's a long way to go. He's number 184 in nine cat leagues right now, and you can't, that's a detriment to your fantasy team. Uh, Bryn Forbes is a drop because his game is whack. Jakob Pertle is the other guy. Now we're looking at the front court that, you know, I mentioned already, he's looked better lately. But I don't want to, again, I don't want to get too sidetracked by the big men in this discussion. This is about the guards. So you're holding on to Jante Murray. Derek White probably belongs on the waiver wire. But if you sat on him this long, you're going to sit on him a little bit longer now that he has the starting job. But I don't think I'm using a move to go get him, especially in a spot where, you know, I if there are move limits, number one, that's a big deal. And then depending on who you'd have to drop, that's another big deal. If you have garbage on your fantasy team, sure, fine. You know, cast him into the ocean and pick up Derek White. Uh, you know, like <laughs> Nick Nick Batum is sort of hot garbage. These I know he had three steals in that game yesterday, but he's I could not envision somebody doing less <laughs> when on the floor. He is the king of the whack fantasy competition right now, and yet over the last week and a half, he's been better than Derek White. So this is all stuff to sort of keep in the back of your head, and that's the additional stuff on, on the Spurs that I wanted to go through. 
Before I get to the late ball game, see what I'm doing here, I uh, wanted to remind everybody that the recruiting push continues here at Hoopball, and most notably, sales positions remain open at hoop-ball.com. If you have daytime availability, hit me up post-haste. We have some amazing opportunities for you guys as Hoopball builds out its sales team. Again, daytime availability is a must this is not something you can do at like 9 p.m. You got to be around in the middle of the day. Hit me up at Dan Vespers or send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. We'll figure out if it's a fit. It might not be. Who knows? But the only way to find out is to bug us at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or again, send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Uh, Oklahoma City scored basically like the last 20 points of that game and beat the Warriors 197. This was a double revenge game for Golden State, so uh, at least that worked out on the, the betting side, but not so much um, for the actual win. Oklahoma City has now beaten the Warriors three times this year already. Kai Bowman was very good, 24, five assists, three steals, a block, two three-pointers, four out of four at the free throw line. He was the guy that we kept mentioning on the pod as, hey, this is the guy who has the most interesting stat set and if something comes together for him, terrific. I will add the, however, that as I've said, and I will continue to say, I don't trust any of these guys. They're all playing huge minutes. Eric Pascal double-doubled, kind of an empty double-double, but it was something. Uh, Alec Burks had a horrid shooting game, and this is why you worry about these score-first types. He killed your field goal percent yesterday. Uh, Glenn Robinson III actually was the one who sort of stepped up alongside Kai Bowman. I, I, I don't have a ton on the Oklahoma City side, so I want to mostly focus on the Warriors. I will say Nerlens Noel remains a must-start guy. It looks like they want to get him around 20 minutes a game, and that's more than enough for him to have fantasy value. More than enough. Chris Paul, by the way, quietly a second-round guy after the first two or three games where he started kind of slowly, so that's panning out nicely as well. Uh, Steven Adams looked a little bit better in this game. Double-double with five assists and three blocks, so maybe that knee contusion is beginning to get a little bit better. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who, again, has been putting up a lot of the counting stuff, is number 89. He's nowhere near the price that folks paid. This is, by the way, another reason to sort of look at the buzz guys and avoid them. You'll miss the one that hits, but you're going to avoid the nine that don't. It's just a percentages game, dude. That's it. Okay, Warriors. Um, let me start with a guy that didn't play in this game, and that's Kevon Looney. And this is exactly what I tweeted during my, my tweet storm last night. At Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. My thoughts are... Kevon Looney, let's go back to the offseason when they re-signed him and brought in D'Angelo Russell in the sign-and-trade, and the starting lineup was going to likely be Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and question mark? Somebody. Glenn Robinson the third, maybe, as sort of like the 3 and D placeholder. Alec Burks, maybe. Probably Robinson. I mean, we could even go back to the first game of the year when all of those guys actually did play. So let's do that. We'll, to, we'll have a little exercise in, in what the hell actually happened this year. So uh, Steph Curry, he actually played in that ballgame, right? So let's, let's go all the way back. All the way back, just a little over a month ago. Steph's first game of the year, they got ripped by the Clippers. Um, who the hell started that game? It was Glenn Robinson. Okay. Kevon Looney, who exited that game after 10 and a half minutes of play, I think it was partway through the second quarter, had three points, nine rebounds, and one assist. And admittedly, it was going to be a high-tempo game. Uh, five of those rebounds were offensive against a Clippers team that at times needs a little bit of help on the glass. But we're going to throw all that aside for just a minute. And with the, the note that he basically came into this season as their fourth best player. Which at the time, you were kind of like, all right, but, you know, he's behind Steph. He's behind D'Lo. These guys are going to take a truckload of shots. Draymond Green can slide over and play center. Willie Cauley-Stein is somewhere. And we sort of were tempering our expectations. He was largely drafted. 
Looney was drafted in in most of the leagues that I'm in. Um, where did he go? He probably went around a hundred for the most part. I think he was uh, 115 ish somewhere in that neck of the woods. With the, I'd say the goal was, hey, I'm going to take this guy near 100 to 120, and hope that he plays 25 minutes and gets to around top, I don't know, 100 level. As exclusively an efficiency rebound defensive guy in the middle on a team that does not need any scoring because Steph and D'Lo were going to take care of that side. I mean, they would have needed a little bit more, but you know, he's been he's mostly going to be getting rebounds, getting putbacks, getting looks from some of these other guys. The downside here to having nobody around him is that his looks are going to be tougher. He's not going to be wide open under the basket the way he would have been playing with Steph and D'Angelo Russell, who, by the way, D'Lo is going to play again this year, just, you know, intermittently. But, you know, no Steph, and then Dre also kind of on and off the floor a little bit. The upshot, however, is through the roof. Because suddenly now, he went from their fourth best player to, at the moment, if he took the court right now, he would probably be the best warrior on the floor. Maybe Alec Burks, you could say, well, this guy's sort of been around a little bit. He could, you know, he'll get you a couple points. He's better than Eric Pascal. He's better than Glenn Robinson III, just as an overall basketball player. He's better than Willie Cauley-Stein. He'll take his job. So... The question I ask is, what to really stand in his way? He'll have unfettered access to a lot of those rebounds that are going to uh, Eric Pascal right now, who, you know, to his credit, has been uh, a solid contributor in this fill-in role. But he's 6'6". He's 6'6", 250. He's a stout little fellow who grabs the boards because he can go push some people around. But... Are we really are we really comparing these two guys? Looney's basically what is he six ten? He's almost a seven footer. We'll call him six ten. So he's going to be way up above someone like Pascal. So he's going to be in there. He's going to have access to the rebounds. And the reason that his rebounding wasn't better last year, he got five in eighteen minutes, which isn't particularly good, is that he had a motivated Kevin Durant and Draymond Green nearby. And even Clay Thompson, who wasn't the world's worst rebounder. Not great, but a bigger dude. And Iguodala was in the mix. They had all these guys around him. I, you know, Draymond Green this year is not going to be motivated. If he gets out there, he's not going to be chasing down rebounds left and right. To me, there is an enormous amount of room for Kevon Looney to grab rebounds. He's going to have to take more shots than he was planning on. You know, he'll have to take. He took four shots in 18 minutes last year. I mean, if he only played 18 minutes, I assume that four would become a six probably this season. So you're probably looking at him taking eight, nine shots a game. He's probably not going to shoot 63% with nobody around him to get him open, but even mid-50s would get the job done. What's he going to go? About five out of eight? 11 points? Eight? What do we think? Eight rebounds? 11 and eight? With over a block a game? Absolutely, I'll take that. Low turnovers. It's got a little bit of a favors feel to it. Not quite to that extent from seasons past. But when you're when you're sort of thinking about where this could all head, uh, look at Derek Favors last year. In 23 minutes in Utah, he had 12, 7.5, 0.7 steals, 1.4 blocks, and 67% at the free throw line. There's a very real chance that that's the type of line we get out of Looney, and that's a top 80, top 85 kind of per-game number. Good defensive stats, enough scoring to offset the fact that there isn't a whole lot of it going on, and then seven to eight rebounds a game. So hell yeah, I'm stashing that dude. Hell yeah, I'm stashing that dude. He'll take the floor right now, and he'll be the best player on the floor. (laughs) Oh, what a world it's become for the Warriors. But he's going to take Willie Cauley-Stein's job at some point once he's sort of ramped up. And then, hell, I'll actually be happy when D'Angelo Russell comes back because then someone might actually be able to get the ball to him, run a pick and roll like whatever D'Lo was doing with Jared Allen last year. Take a shot, man. There just aren't that many dudes floating around where you're just like, hey, if things break right, he could be a top 85, top 80 guy. I think the only other one we've talked about in the last two days is like Tim Hardaway Jr., 
What if things break right? They probably won't. Lower probability there. Honestly, I'd say higher probability with Looney because there's just fewer things that can go wrong. Outside of resting, I guess. And what do we say about Tuesday at this point? Clippers are in Dallas, favored by two on the road against a Mavs team that has been outstanding. This will be a hell of a test for Kawhi and Paul George. You know that they're going to be throwing those guys at Luka all damn night. Pretty good test for Luka as well. Um, I got to think a guy like Montrez Harrell is going to give Kristaps Porzingis kind of an annoying time. Uh, tough to say, though. This is This is significant to say the Clippers are a five-point neutral site favorite over the Mavs, as good as they've been. I know the Clippers are kind of a public team these days, but boy. Uh, fantasy standpoint, Tim Hardaway Jr. is the big question mark in this game. He's gotten the start the last three in a row. He played big minutes, scored a ton of points. He'll obviously cool off, but as I mentioned uh, on the Monday show, I, I do wonder if getting to play alongside someone like Luka that can help him get open, that can get him those slightly better looks where he's not going against double and triple teams and just shooting over him Kobe style, could actually help get his field goal percent up from 41-ish to maybe like a 44-45. Not the 50-some-odd we've seen here lately. That is an unsustainable mark. But if he's playing 30-plus minutes, he's going to do enough. He'll get you points, he'll get you threes, he'll get you good free throw percent, he'll get you some steals just from being on the floor. And I'll get you some assists because they do move the ball in Dallas. I know Luka's going to get most of them, uh, but Hardaway gives them another guy that they trust to kind of get things going. He's an interesting fit because with Doncic, all of the usage is going straight there. But some of that is a pass to an open guy. And it hasn't really been Dwight Powell or Maxi Kleber or any of these dudes Hardaway's the only one who seems to have the gumption to go take a shot on his own. So we shall see. My expectations are not all that high. But again, as long as he's starting, you kind of got to put him on your team and see how this thing flexes out. Uh, over guys like over guys like Luca on it, or over, excuse me, over guys like uh Jakob Pertle, I should say, who we were just talking about is sort of an interesting guy that doesn't do it a, a ton. And his minutes are not all that high. So that's why you sort of have to look at Tim Hardaway Jr. instead. Just get the guy who has the chance to play more minutes. You got to try. What are you going to do? You got to try. So again, don't set your expectations too high, but certainly give it a look. Washington is at Denver. We know everything to expect with the Nuggets. They're nine and a half point favorite at home, which, by the way, feels kind of low. Uh, Wizards. Mostly I'm watching IT. Uh, I don't like the way he's looked in the starting lineup. He's been passive. He's basically let Bradley Beal, which is the way it should be. He's a far better uh, offensive basketball player and defensive at this point in their respective careers. But what I liked about IT coming off the bench was that he'd come in and he was the lead horse with that group. If they move him back to that lead bench dog role and then just kind of let him roll through then cool. The problem is I think they want him out there for more minutes and it's hard to do that when you don't play the first six minutes of the ball game. Then if you're going to get 13 of the remaining 18 minutes in that first half, it's got to be like seven minute burst, four minute rest, whatever it is, six or seven minutes again. That's a lot to play as opposed to what he's doing right now, which is like play the first eight or nine, rest for eight or nine, and then play for five or six. So you get that nice big break which, again, for a guy that has had the body issues of IT lately, the long break in the middle is probably pretty good for his rest. So they may want to keep him in the starting lineup just to make sure that he, if he is playing bigger minutes, he can kind of stay relatively fresh and healthy. And that concerns me. He's just not doing enough. He's not getting to the free throw line. He never gets steals or blocks, so that's not unusual. But the hope is that his 90% free throw game could be a positive impact thing. And it just, he's not getting to the line. The assists are sort of there. You know, he's sitting around five-ish when he's coasting along with these mid to high 20s in minutes. And the points are okay, but there's really nothing else at this point. He's lacking the explosiveness. He's lacking the usage. And so while I was really high on him when he was coming off the bench, this starter's role has dramatically changed my assessment 
I think you put him on your bench. I don't think you go straight to a drop because who knows how this could play out. But as it stands right now, he is on the wrong side of the cut line as a starting point guard on this team. So, um, you know, certainly if you're in an unlimited format, you just dump him in there and you take what you take. But if you're worried about games caps, I don't think he's worth deploying as of this moment. I'll give the warning now as well, and we'll do it again on the the Wednesday show, that uh, Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving Wednesday is a super weird day. 14 teams are playing. You really want to bench all of your non-key guys. You're probably going to have uh, sort of an overload on that day as well. Uh, but expect some super weird games, some blowouts, um, some guys that are just cold, missing all of their shots. Some guys that you never expect getting in there and getting hot. So, you know, don't put too much stock in that Wednesday game. I'm going to go ahead and call this one a short show. I see no reason not to. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to Brandon Marcus if the timing works out. It's going to be a squeeze, but we'll try to get some of our buy low, sell high stuff in. That worked out really well last week, uh, even if it has to be a slightly shorter segment than usual. Later on tonight, we'll be recording the Real Big Three with Scott Bogman and Jonas Nader. That should be a lot of fun. Again, we've got the Bruce letter. We've got recruiting time at the Hoob. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We're just going to put a pin in this one nice and early. Call it a 40-minute program today. Get you back to your day. Have a great Tuesday. Uh, enjoy the short one. Enjoy the kind of break from really having to dig deep every night on your fantasy stuff. And we'll get back at you tomorrow. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.